All right. Killer till 11 o'clock. That's not bad. Get home and get to sleep. Have a little sleep, sleep, sleep. Get mm. home and get to sleep. Get in a decent sleep, five hours. Sleep, sleep as much as you can sleep. Sleep, <laughs> sleep, sleep, sleep. Uh, This is a long weekend, so I get to sleep, 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 this sleep. This is family, day. family day. Yay! Welcome to Sneaky Dragon. We'll be telling a story in five parts today. Part one, colonoscopies. Before we begin, introduce ourselves. I'm Ian Boothby. I'm David Dedrick. And now here's my story. Earlier this week, I was being prepped for a colonoscopy. What made this exciting was I wasn't there for a colonoscopy. Oh. But the person who was prepping me seemed to think I was wrong. Hmm. I got to the place, which is a hospital, which is where they do such things. I can see the confusion. I showed up on time. Once I again. brought the proper ID. I had prepped, uh, not for a colonoscopy. What had you prepped for? I pre- uh, prepped for a, a gastro something, gastroscope, something along those lines. Okay. I'm dropping character a little bit right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you've got to not eat for uh, 12 hours or something like that. Yep. You can't eat or drink. I've had both things done. So, so I get there. Yeah. And then they're, uh, okay, uh, just go into this room and uh, uh, change out of your clothes. You've got to get the gown on. Yeah. And so I get the gown on, and uh, and uh, it's like, and underwear. I'm like, oh, that seems weird. I need to get rid of my underwear for uh, for that. But, you know, you're the boss mm. is what I say to anyone in the medical profession who's telling me to do something. Yeah. So uh, do that. Get the robe, which is nice now that they've got the... Uh, it's on. It's a side situation, not a back situation. Okay. So tie that all up. There with my wife. We sit down. Uh, there's like uh, eight seats. It's a room full of beds. Uh, I'm hearing a little bit too much uh, personal information about people who are going sure, through things. Sure. And then uh, I'm watching the clock, and we wait like about an hour. And then uh, a nurse comes in and goes, uh, "Has anyone seen Ian?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm here." Well, where were you? I was here. Like, like I was like. I'm in a robe. Like, you got my clothes. There's eight seats. There's only... This is the only places I could be. Yeah. I didn't do a runner. <laughs> you didn't look down the bench. Yeah. Um, to be fair, there was a little bit of a, I guess, a fold. And so maybe there was a blind spot. Anyway, okay, well, we got to prep you fast. I'm like, oh, that's not what you want to hear. Yeah, we got to get that IV in you. I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear a fast IV. That's not what I need. <laughs> so I go into the I go into the other room, and I'm trying to be like super nice because there's a person giving me an IV. So uh, they prep me for the IV, and then uh, says, "Okay, so you're in for a colonoscopy." And I go, "Nope, I'm not." And it's like, "No, that's what it says here." Okay, well, in my clothes, which are in that locker, I've got a piece of paper that says different. It's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Well, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm not here <laughs> for a colonoscopy, and I'm pretty sure that's wrong. He's like, okay, well, I'll go ask. So they go and come back. Yeah, yeah, that's not what you're in for. I'm like, I know. (laughs) I know. And now this explains why I have no underpants on and in a room full of other people who are also getting prepped for various things. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a, could be a, well, it's not like a terrible mistake, but it's, that's not fun. Well, it would have been a bad mistake because I wasn't prepped for that. So like yeah. you've got to, you've got to do quite a bit of preparation for a yeah, colonoscopy. You do, you Otherwise, do. it would be a messy situation. Anyway, right. long long story right. short, that will then probably become a long story again. Uh, it was because I've got acid reflux, and so yeah. uh, they think it's a good idea to. Here's here's the thing. I had 
Well, I'll, let me just go through this first, and then I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll back it up a little bit. Quit, so quit anyway, going on the sides. It's long not the long story short, thing. I'm fine. Uh, knock on all the kinds of wood. So, uh, so yeah, go uh, go in, and uh, and uh, they do the thing where they put you on your side, put a thing in your mouth, uh, which holds your mouth open. Wait, they put a thing in your mouth? Yeah. You sure not getting uh, shock therapy? <laughs> oh, wait a second. Now that I think about it, I am sane. <laughs> And uh, they've given me this drug, which uh, has three quarters of the word fentanyl in the in the title. Okay, so, yeah, fentanyl. La, 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 la. That'll that'll knock you in your butt. Yeah, and I think I'm making sense. And and the uh, and the and so the doctor, as I'm lying on the, on my side, he goes, "You like Larry David?" And I go, uh, "Yeah, I guess I like Larry David." It's like, oh, I had a Larry David thing happen to me the other day. So I'm in a bakery. And uh, I, uh, I get a loaf of bread, and I ask, "Can you slice it?" And they go, "Oh, sure, sure." And they go in the back and they slice it, and then uh, uh, you know, and uh, like uh, you know, and they ask, "Do you want any muffins?" And uh, and go, "I don't know, I don't want any muffins." And I go, "Okay, well, just take it back and slice it." And they come out with a sliced bread, and the guy, and I say to him, uh, "I changed my mind," and he's like, "What?" And it's like, "I do want a muffin." I'm like, oh, <laughs> and I was going, "Oh, that's funny," because he's. Think, uh, yeah, I changed your mind about bread. Like he couldn't put the bread back together. That's all I remember. So, <laughs> so, nice. so, you know, I think he remembered that I'm a comedian, and so he wanted to joke around with me a bit. So, I I shut my eyes because I don't want to see a like a the uh, you know pipe or whatever. A person telling you a story. I don't want to see any stories where someone's maybe acting out Larry David type things. <laughs> And yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing because I, I shut my eyes and I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be cool with this. He said it was only gonna take three minutes, which is a nice thing to hear. Like you can do most things for three minutes if necessary. And all I, all I really remember is like, there's pressure. It was like weird pressure. It wasn't pain, but it was pressure. And it was like, oh, that's not, I don't like this. This is, oh, well, just what are you gonna do? And, uh, and I remember him saying, oh, this might be causing the acid reflux. Uh, okay, we'll just take care of that. And uh, like, oh, that's good to that. And uh, next thing I remember is I'm being wheeled into the other room. I'm talking to. Oh, I also looked up and saw that my blood pressure looked high, and I went, oh, that might not be good. And he was like, don't worry about it. <clears throat> Wheels me into the other room, and everyone's talking about how good my blood pressure is. I'm like, oh, your blood pressure is great. I'm like, oh, good. Was it not good? I don't know what's going on. Um, and I'm having conversations with people and going, am I making sense? It's sort of making sense. And then I keep. When I'm remembering it now, there are massive blackouts of huh. like of it's and it's weird because there's all these just lost time moments that I have. Yeah, yeah. I remember like my wife standing next to me. Then I remember my wife being asked to like just sit down like just a couple of feet away, and then someone else is like next to me. Then there's more conversations, and I remember that there was a woman who was uh, a new nurse who was there. Okay, and so I was being especially nice to her just in case she had to do something, you know, uh, with me. And I remember uh, being a, told... A lot of bargaining going on here. I remember being told, uh, you know, don't sign any legal documents today because you're going to be a bit out of it. Mm. They say that as I'm signing a legal document uh, there that basically says, you know, you won't sue if something goes wrong. you okay. got to, like, yeah, sign yeah. one of those. I'm like, Weaver. well, you drug yeah. me up and then you're making me sign this thing. And I was like, but I'm not going to complain about this at the time. And there you go. So... You yeah. want to be nice to them because they're putting things inside you. That's exactly right. So I'm being super nice to everybody. Sure. Then the next memory I really have is I'm walking down the hallway. Then the next memory I have is I'm walking out into, uh, you know, out front with 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 Pia, and we're gonna go get something checked out with her at a walk-in clinic. Okay. And then there's a weird, 
there's again some more time loss and I'm in the walk-in clinic and uh some high school kids get into a fight out front okay and they come in with uh, a guy's got a broken nose but he doesn't want them to call his folks and so he keeps trying to leave and everyone keeps trying to convince him to come back and keeps trying to leave and keeps trying to convince him to come back and then my wife tries to convince him to come back and I think I try to convince him to come back but I can't totally remember <laughs> and apparently we were there for three hours huh but to me it was 15 minutes this fentanyl sounds great then yeah, uh, Pia was getting something checked out, and she comes out and goes, "I'm perfect." And I'm like, "Oh, that's nice." And she goes, "No." The doctor just went, "I'm perfect." <laughs> she was like surprised how perfect everything was with this, and I was like, "Oh, that's good to hear." Then it's like memory, memory gone. Then I'm at the house, and uh, and just and and feeling like I, I should sleep, but I shouldn't sleep. This feels wrong to sleep. I think I would sleep too hard. So I try killing time for a while. And then I finally do go like, oh, I'm in bed. I go to sleep. And it does sleep too hard. It's almost that sleep paralysis thing where you wake up and you can't really move. Hmm. And then so, okay, so there's that. But then I do wake up. And then for the next couple of days, I've just been like goofballs. It's just been so weird. Wow. And so that's been that's been my week. We're recording this on a Thursday. Yeah. I still feel I still feel off from it. Wrong. But I'm happy with the results. Yeah. I'm happy that things went well with Pia. Uh, but, uh, I would not recommend fentanyl, uh, unless, you know, you like having random time being missed. <laughs> it was, it was just very, very strange. <clears throat> yeah. Lisa was on fentanyl. She, this was quite a few years ago. She had, um, an operation done on her, I guess on her uterus, some lady parts anyway. Okay. And, uh, she had like the sort of experimental therapy done on her at UB, UBC hospital. Yeah. And after the operation, yeah, she was on fentanyl and she was incoherent. Yeah, good way to put it. Yeah, Pia said that, and I thought I was making sense. She, yeah, she thought she was making a lot of sense. Oh, absolutely! Too. I was like but a we were, cool customer. We were all killing ourselves. Yeah, like, I was, like I was like in I. a tuxedo. I was walking around the party. <laughs> How are you doing? I am charming this new nurse. Let me tell you something. Anyway, I really got that zinger about the Larry David thing. And then she said to me, "It was like you had this vacant stare, like you were like." miles and miles away and weren't really seeing what was going on huh. and i was like oh that sounds creepy yeah. i don't like hearing that at all but it certainly helps with the pain the fentanyl i mean it has its uses obviously just don't that's a weird thing don't now go too. crazy with it folks i do saying. feel i do feel the tube still a little bit like mm. i can still feel where it was yeah and i think the next day because I could sort of feel where the tube was. My body was reacting in the same way as if I had a cold mm. or the flu or something. Okay. And I was going, something's inside you. Uh, I'm going to give you a lot of... You know, it was just like pumping adrenaline and doing things. And so I did feel kind of like like I had a cold. Because mm. uh, I think it's how my body was reacting to things. But yeah, it, it is that... It's just such a weird sensation. The memory the memory loss yeah. and the flooring. Did you, did you take fentanyl when you had your... Uh, you're saying you had the tube down the throat? No, I never had the tube down the throat. That's okay. it. I never. I did the other. I had the colonoscopy. I had two different types, though. One was just the regular push a tube down and look around, and the other one was a weird one where I had to drink a chemical that made me bloated. Okay. And, and then I felt like I needed to fart, but I wasn't allowed to fart because I needed to be bloated. Okay. And then I had to like lay. It was really painful too because you know you're oh, just like because yeah, yeah. you really do want to you know let one go but you can't. So then you're like laying on this table and then they're like making you roll around mm-hmm. while they're like taking uh, x-rays of you. Right. And so, but it's really painful because you're like trying to, you're trying not to fart and you're rolling around on a table. And they didn't give you anything for the pain for that. that no, was- no. And I mean, it wasn't t- terrible. It was just like uncomfortable. Yeah. And then, and then if, you know, finally, you know, you finish, then they're like, okay, we'll go get changed. And then also you can, 
let her let her rip. You right. Know? Was it so, a relief when you were able to fart? Yeah, of course it was. Yeah, because you're just full of they're just full of this air that's like right. you know because you guys you drink something it's kind of like pop rocks I guess inside you and it it causes the yeah, air when, to expand. When they sent you, you to the fart room, were you alone <laughs> in the fart room or was it you? No, and a you're bunch? not. You're like in a, just in a dressing area. And now are there other people there? Yeah, there's other people around. And so they got to hear you let, let the fart out. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that's a bad scene. I know. Scene. Well, so I, I couldn't. So I had to go somewhere else. I had, is, to, I had to hang out the window. And No, I didn't. Ah, <laughs> oh, that is not... Uh, I really no. need to fart, but I don't want to fart in front of people. I'll just hang out this window. And then someone closes it. Help! <laughs> so when you got the other colonoscopy... There's a man with a robe on hanging from a window... <laughs> Exactly. I was trying to fart. Here's a tip for you about ro- the the old fashioned hospital robes. Okay. Put it on without your arms in. Turn it so you can see yourself. T- you can watch mm. Ty. Then you turn it around and put your arms in it. Oh, okay. There you go, everyone. There's they were a- very proud that they've uh, figured out a new way around this. <laughs> As somebody who spent a lot of time in hospital hospital gowns during my during my hospitalization days, it's uh, it was a good trick. Good trick there. I was annoyed when I found out I could have been wearing underwear because. When you're the waiting was the was yeah. the hardest part. That's what they say. The waiting is the hardest, hardest part. part. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you're sitting there mm-hmm. and you feel like uh, a proper lady because you've got your knees together, <laughs> and I'm like, this robe goes like just beyond the knees. So I'm yeah. like, well, mm-hmm. I gotta I gotta pretend I got an aspirin between yeah. my legs. Otherwise, hey, how you doing? Like I know you're having a rough day with the kidney stones that I'm hearing a lot about. Yeah. I don't want this to be part of it. And, and then when I learned like later, I could have had underwear on the whole damn time. Sure. Well, this is this is just. Well, also, you sit in a very old-fashioned way. You're supposed to sit like you have a fentanyl pill between your legs, <laughs> so you know. So when you had your colonoscopy, the colonoscopy, colonoscopy, yes, do, they must have given you something for the pain for that. Or they must have drugged you in some way. They give you something. I don't think so because I just drove myself there and drove. No, they. You can't drive back after a colonoscopy. Why? I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe that's I, the problem. Maybe I did or didn't. I don't. Okay. No, you you do what? get a, you do get a drug for a colonoscopy for sure. Okay. It's something that they refer to, what do you call it? Like as a twilight drug of some sort. It just like. Oh, it could be. I don't know. I, I just remember. remember here's why Here's why I know about that one is uh, I was listening to a Conan O'Brien interview once and he was going that he doesn't do drugs, but the one drug he likes is when you get a colonoscopy and you get that drug. And it's like, it's really a pleasant sensation. It's huh. really, it's really nice. I don't remember but that. But yeah, you do, you get the time loss. Okay. Did you get the time? I'll have to. Well? Um, we'd have to check with Lisa. She's the person. Like, we don't have to. She's in charge of all this stuff for me. Probably don't want to bring that up again and just go like. Uh, I just, I just happily drift through all this stuff. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of memory loss. I don't like that no? because you, you remember just enough, mm. and you're like, ah, oh. it's just like, well, what about that bit? Well, what made this? What made, what made this bit memorable? And like, yeah, if, yeah. The one thing that would have been interesting, and of course you can't do it, is if if someone had videotaped me at the time, it would be interesting to watch the <laughs> the tape afterwards and see yourself That's during what, a time period that you can't remember. Yeah, those are sort of enjoyable. Those on YouTube or whatever, like the the drugged um, dental patient yes. or whatever. Those is are kind this of fun. real life. <laughs> but the one but the one thing that is nice about this is it does bring something a little bit of closure to something where like it was like last year. Around March, I think, is when is when I, I went to see a doctor that uh, she was the first person to bring up the scope thing. Okay. And, and the way and the way she said it was, "What you've never had a scope? What for okay. for for the acid yeah, yeah. reflux thing?" And she's like, a, "Yeah, yeah." And she brought it up like as Good in point. like kind of horrified that yeah. uh, that I hadn't. 
But she also brought it up and was like, oh, yeah, you could have. And I forget what the name of it exactly is. It's Barrett's esophagus or Bartlett's esophagus. It's something along those lines. Okay. You could have you could have Bartlett's esophagus. No, you probably you probably you probably do then. And it's like, oh. And the way she said everything, it just set me to a scaredness. Okay. Like, it, like I have been scared since then mm. of like just that that appointment fucked me up for a year. That's strange like, because it just means that you have two esophaguses. What is that? Bartlett's pear. Oh my god! Come on. There you are. I was going like, is that the name of a dictionary? Well, Bartlett's quotations. Yes, very good. Book of famous quotations. <laughs> I didn't go there. I thought that was too obscure. <laughs> the Bartlett's pair. No, I think you right went right up people's alley. I think I think you went for the best obscure joke <laughs> during. That's my job. No, it's appreciated. And now I'm just going to remember it as that. <laughs> but it's it was like it was the first time I'd been to a doctor. And felt actually scared. Like, these are the things that wow. she said. She, yeah, yeah. You know. But then she also, I, I said, like, uh, oh, okay, so I should get that checked out. She went, yeah, you should. Though, you know, you go looking for something, you're going to find it. <laughs> exactly. What kind, what kind of thing is that for a doctor to say? <laughs> right? What is, you go looking for something, yeah. you're going to find it. This, that's what she, that's what yeah, she yeah. said. Was she some kind of gloomy Eastern European doctor or something? No. No, she was actually kind of, I, I don't want to, uh, how do you put it? She, she's kind of a fun-loving yeah. type. Like, uh, a, little, you know, a little too a little too fun-loving. A little too casual. A little too casual, This was yeah. This was the thing. Like, I've gotten rid of doctors in the past for being too casual. I had one once where I was uh, having something going on. He went to, uh, you know, uh, get something examined. And he went, okay, well, let's look at your dick. And I was like, <laughs> well, nope. Then we're not doing that. No, because I'm sorry, doctor. Uh, no one's looking at my dick. As a doctor, you can look at my penis, should it be necessary, but you can't ever see my dick. Because that's a different thing, doctor. And, and to set the, set the uh, picture for that, it was around Christmas time and he was wearing an elf hat just to lighten the mood. So it's my doctor, mm. bushy beard, yeah. wearing an elf hat, yeah. going, let's see your dick. Mm. Done. He was into the eggnog. Done. And we're done. So... So, yeah, so it was just this weird casualness that just, like, was like, oh, and then that weird thing she said, yeah, like, look for something, you're going to find it. And I'm like, oh, that's not at all what this should, and then... I mean, uh, but it's, I mean, and, and that's just, not necessarily bad, right? No, that's the way she was no, no, putting it, which is you, like, you you're wanna, looking for trouble, you're going to find trouble. But you want to so know... don't go poking around in your body and looking for trouble. So you think you have cancer, do you? Don't bother looking. Because you're gonna—that's the thing. Because you're gonna find it. That's but the isn't thing. that a good thing though? Exactly. It's better than not. Knowing. And I'll say. And I'll say. Here's the thing. And then the next week, that's when we. That's when uh, you know my wife had her cancer scare, mm. which again turned out to be nothing, which is which is good. But it was like it. It went from me feeling that way. Yeah. You know, to to that, and I was like, oh, geez, there's that. And then when that went away. I still was, it was like a series of waves this, this year mm-hmm. where it was just like, it just felt like there was always like something that was going on and then something else would be found or something else would be seen or something else would be this or something else would be that. And, you know, one by one, they've all been like fine and fine and fine. That's good. But the, um, but the check in the, the scope thing was something that, you know, uh, they'd always like go, yeah, well, we're, we're trying to book you for one, but it's just, you know. It's just, what? you know, and I get told, well, it's probably nothing then by like other doctors. And I, ah, it's probably nothing. It's probably fine. It's probably okay. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, yeah, finally, finally having it. And it's just one of those things where like someone's looking inside you and it's like, you just don't know. 
And then, uh, yeah, it was it was it was nice to get a form that said everything looks normal with a box checked next to it, which was that was good. That's good. I mean, it's better to check it than not check it. I I think that's a silly thing to say to a patient. Yeah. If you go looking for it, you're you. going to find it. But at the same time, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. We if saw, it's there, yeah, and you find it, then it can be cured. If you don't look and it's there. Then you can't get cured. That was you know? not. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, she was but you know what I mean, right? Like, yeah, don't go looking for trouble. You're going to find. I know, trouble. I know. It just it's a weird thing to say. I think I agree with you. Yeah, she's being too friendly. She's being. And it's a thing. Do you know it's, what I mean? Like, there's that. Yeah, it's jokey, casual, and yeah. I've, I have had that with other doctors too. And some people are taking your personality as maybe being easy, easier going than it actually is. Well, that's the thing. Most of them don't know that I do comedy in any way, shape, or form, and I don't like. They sing- can tell looking at you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, this uh, this temperature looks funny. What do you mean? Oh, you're clearly a comedian. Um, yeah, it's like it's yeah, it's such a weird thing with, with with doctors where like if you do say that you're a comedian, yeah, I found that that's a huge thing for doctors. Mm. They're like, oh, really? Mm. And it's almost like a challenge or something at that point. It's like so many of them feel like they're they want to be comedians. I'm gonna find the funniest illness. Yeah, it's just this. Ca- it's this. Real common thing of like doctors who wanted to be comedians. And then once they find that out about you, then the tone changes and mm. then it becomes really jokey. And you're like, okay, I'm okay with sort of jokey, but I need, I need you at this point right now just to give me facts. But then I'm going to be every, when you're looking at your doctor's face, you will always read what they're actually saying. It's just like, well, this is probably nothing. Like, what does that mean? Probably. Why do we even bring it up if it's a probably nothing situation? It's just like, if he's going like, look, this is seriously, this is probably nothing. The, the odds are, you know, one in a thousand of this, but we got, we should check for it because of the, that's fine. But just like, well, you know, it could be. Anyway, I'm just going to casually mention this one thing. Just leave it there like a tattoo on your soul <laughs> until, until we, until we deal with this. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you keep, hey, you keep an eye on that. <laughs> Keep an eye on it. Why? You know, just just keep an eye on it. Well, you're not really telling me like what I should be keeping an eye for. Just keep an eye on it. Okay. What what are we talking about? That's kind of funny that because uh, you suggested recently that sociopaths would make good comedians, stand-up comics. But I've I think anecdotally it's said that doctors there's a high high occurrence of soci- sociopathy in doctors just because you need people sure who aren't emotional don't get overwrought dealing with incidents you know you don't want someone who's emotionally incapable of, de- of dealing in emergencies and uh yeah so it's sort of funny. i like the sort of funny overlap there yeah that's why they they dream of they dream of making observations on what they see i imagine doctors see the best and worst of us so they probably have a lot of good stories yeah, but they can't do. tell you because they have they you know they can't tell you what they're doing but i do know someone who is a comedian and a doctor who kind of put the doctoring aside <laughs> While, um, you know, kind of focusing on the comedy career okay. for a while. And then went back. Uh, Are you talking uh, about Graham Chapman? I am not. No, okay. no he has passed away a long, oh, that's long right, time that's ago. Oh, that's right. Um, but uh, now he's uh, now he deals mostly with anxiety uh, and does like a series of videos and stuff on okay. that. Because he found like that was such a huge cause of all, of all these things that people were going mm-hmm. through. I can, that it was, like, I can imagine. Good good route to... <clears throat> well, we, we know how PTSD affects... PTSD, yeah, post-traumatic, yeah. affects people, and I think that anxiety is like a low-level PTSD for for people. I do, I do really. I do. know why I'm laughing at that. Is I was like, because well, you're, you're laughing trying, at me. I'm laughing at you trying to get the initials right, and then I thought, uh, 
You know, it's worse than that guy who, uh, you know, has uh, ODC. Oh, but OCD. God damn it. <laughs> I'm always getting that wrong. <laughs> well, Driving me to, crazy. I've mentioned PTSD on on Listening Party with Mary. Mm-hmm. And, she, and I always mix it up and she always cor- corrects me. So that's why I, I had to go back and just sort of double check it just to make sure that I got, it, got the order right. Post-traumatic. I was, that's what I do. I say it and then I go, post-traumatic. Oh, there, that's right. Good. Whew. No, but I do think stress, like low, low, like stress, you know, like obviously we don't have like the kind of severe, like acute, acute PTSD that you would find in soldiers. But, yeah. you, but you know, like chronic conditions of anxiety, levels of anxiety can have the similar, have similar effects, you know. So. And also yeah. you deal with, you deal with things from childhood that are, that are, that are there. And, you know, that's how you learn to manage certain things. And, you know, there's trauma definitely in childhood that like you still have. And we, and we, we have this weird relationship, I think, to it where, you know, on the one hand, people acknowledge that this is a thing. But I think there's always this – there's always like a, a bunch of people that are just going get over it, walk it off. Mm-hmm. You know, what, you need a safe space? Unsympathetic. I think yeah. you were in for that. <laughs> I, just, I just think they see, they see it as weakness, whereas I – you know, it's, it's like if you, if you had a physical ailment – you know, where like you had a something wrong with your wrist that you couldn't turn it. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have people go like, "Oh, that's that's weakness." Yeah, that's what that is. It's like, no, no, no. And I'm, you know, it's it's just something that is is part of you that uh, that yeah, you're uh, you're you're soft. Yeah, you're, you need you need your safe space. You need whatever. It's like uh, back in the day, as you say, before you called it PTSD, it was you know shell shock, mm-hmm. and you're like, but you know, they they look down on the people that had it. And then they acknowledge that, okay, there's shell shock, okay, there's PTSD, I guess. But there's still a little bit of something I feel like, you know, or is it? Or But you should be able to get over it because it's not, it's not real. You're not still really dealing with it. Mm-hmm. You know, the person that, you know, abused you as a kid is dead now. So what are you scared of now? What's, yeah. you know, it's like, well, no, the damage is, is there. And that's how you react to things in, in the present. You've, you've, been, you've been altered. Well, I think... You know, it's funny. I think that it was more accepted social, like in like in society, than it was medically. And the reason reason I think that doctors had a hard time dealing with it is because it's hard to cure. It's hard to recognize, and it's hard to cure. Whereas, you know, like I remember like going uh, being in the Orkneys with Lisa the very first time I went there. So this would have been eighty nine, and there was an old World War Two vet there that just lived lived in his house. He was like a hermit, mm-hmm. and. We were driving by it, and Lisa's aunt commented on it and said, "You know, he was in he was in um, the Pacific Theater. He was in Asia during the war, I know, and was and was tortured by the Japanese. And he's never gotten over it, you know. And he just, but they and they weren't condemning him for that. They understood why he was yeah. the way he was. And I just thought that was really interesting because you know they were accepting of who he was and the problems that he had. But I think that doctors have had a harder time with it, and it could be because it." You know, for military doctors, their job is not to is not to cure us; it's to get us back into the field. Yeah. And so, whether you, if your brain is broken, they you know they don't know how to fix that because it's I don't mean your brain when your when your psyche is broken, yeah. they don't know how to fix that. And also, how they just know how to cobble it together. You and, shouldn't be able to deal with torture. Like that's not something. Yeah, that yeah. Feels like you know, we should be able to deal with it. even yeah. even just you know being a soldier is like here's yeah. a gun, go and like shoot somebody. Yeah, that's also a torture. Yeah. That's also a form of torture. Like there's nothing in your people. previous life yeah. that would prepare you in any way for any of the things you would no, do. No, your whole life is to prepare you for the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Your whole life is about not killing people. About And when you get back, then it all goes back to that. Mm-hmm. And you've got mm-hmm. to almost pretend like, well, that was just a, that, 
Just forget that. You just that. cut that off. It's like you've created your own memory loss. So if you think memory loss is scary, then you, you create your own, like, this own kind of black spot in your, in your life where you can't even go back to those things. Cause they're so horrifying that not only they're scary to you, but they're incomprehensible to anyone else, mm-hmm. you know? And then you feel guilty for the things you did too. Because for sure, in moments of stress and warfare, you're going to do things that are cruel, cowardly, brave. You're going to have all this mix of things that you did. You know, some are admirable and some are not admirable. And then you have to live with this stuff and you can't talk to anyone about it. You know, you can't talk about the stuff that was brave because you know that there's this, you know, there's this other side to it where you weren't brave, you know, and that so you just be lying to yourself and to other people. Yeah. And so you just can't talk about any part of it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's very, uh, it's very interesting. It must be also weird, especially if you're a veteran, to have you you go into it being told propaganda and propaganda is all around you of what war is. Mm-hmm. And then war in no way matches the propaganda at all. But then you come back home and you're part of the propaganda. <laughs> and then you're in a then you're in a parade or you're in a thing and you're and you're expected to be part of that thing that you know is not true. You know yeah. what it, you know what it really is. And 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 no one really wants to hear what's true. No one would want to no. hear the, the majority of people, maybe loved ones would, you know, who really care about you. But for the most part, people are just, well, welcome back. And now get back into the world and do the things that, you know, just normal to get a job. Go. <laughs> um, yeah, there's that scene in uh, two things. One is, well, this is what you say about soldiers. Soldiers, there's a certain amount of propaganda, but they're also brainwashed into being soldiers. You know, like they're... They're taught, basically they're broken down and then remade yeah. into this sort of instinctive fighting machine. Right. But there's a scene in, in All Quiet on the Western Front where the character, it's, the war's still on. They're just getting a home, home leave. So they get to go ba- back from the, from the front to home. And it's interesting because they're, you know, they're going through all these horrors. And then there's a scene where he visits his old school to visit his teacher. Mm-hmm. And his teacher's there spouting all this jingoistic nonsense to these children about how honorable the war is and stuff like that. And this character's gone through this, the terrors of it all and knows how horrible and, you know, just not just terrifying, but how, you know, intimidating and scary and, and you know, just how brutal it is. And that there's so very little honor and so very little anything in it. But he can't really say that in a, to a classroom of kids here being, mm-hmm. you know. So it's really, uh, it's quite a good scene, actually, in the story. I think it's in the movie as well. The, I've never seen, I've only seen the black and white film from... 1930 or whenever it was made but yeah i'm trying to remember which which yeah i've seen i've seen the film we saw it in school there's one with john boy okay Richard that i think that was the one okay yeah um but yeah i've never seen that one i remember it being i remember it being a thing but i yeah does he get spoilers everyone on this book from 100 years ago um does he get killed at the end like he's like finds a butterfly or something like that and he's looking at it and he gets shot oh that's a good question is that, does that I make don't sense remember it was it's a been long, so long since it was a long long time ago i read the book in in high school as well just because i wanted to but uh it's a good it'd book. be interesting to have like a, a movie about world war one where you know at the end of it someone goes you know what that wasn't so bad <laughs> i know i know people really talk down this war but mm. you know what i had a pretty good time I had a pretty good time. Maybe I'm the kind of guy who just likes a trench. <laughs> you know? I, well, it really depends where I, you uh, were. You know what? I don't, I, mm-hmm. Okay, like, you know, it's no man's land. And yeah, I know it's bad, but, you know, 
I grew up in Halifax. <laughs> it's, it's not so bad. It's all right. You know? Yeah. Come on. It's just that guy. The guy who really was fine with it. Mr. Easygoing. Most most Canadians that served were for were farm boys. Ugh. That was most of the uh yeah. So yeah, that's uh in Langley all the street name all the streets were named after uh boys who were killed during World War 1. So all the any street that has a name that's like a person's name yeah. is named after uh, a uh, casualty, which is kind of a nice tribute. But at the same time, <laughs> when they, re- I think they'd rather be there and just have a number on the street name. But yeah, it's interesting. I think I've talked about on the show before. I'll just bring it up again. So I think it's really curious. Like I, we knew about shell shock, but I think our understanding of PTSD and things like that was very limited. And I just. And it just strikes me as really interesting. Like after Vietnam War, particularly, there was all this talk about Agent Orange and its effects on on soldiers. Mm-hmm. And then during the uh, fighting in Sarajevo and Kosovo and stuff like that. After that, I remember listening to the radio and talking about t- listening to the radio, and they're talking about Canadian soldiers suffering from problems related to ur- uranium depleted bullets that they were using. They f- oh, okay, but what all that was 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 just them searching for a, uh, I'm trying to understand what the cause of all these various illnesses were, were that were happening for soldiers, and what it was is from stress. It was stress was breaking their bodies down, but they didn't understand it because doctors need to be able to see something in order to understand what it is, and so it was easier to like try and find a, external causes for this rather than internal. It didn't make sense to us that our bodies were breaking itself down because of the huge amount of stress that was yeah. on on these people. So, like Agent Orange, obviously that's a problem because we were sending, spreading this, spraying this defoliant all over Vietnam to, in order to get rid of the trees to make fighting easier. And obviously that stuff was poison and people were breathing it and it got onto their skins and then it was causing problems. You know, or, you know, they had these bullets that had, you know, radioactive, uh, a certain amount of radiation to yeah. them and that, and them touching those and using those was making them sick and that was the cause. Neither, neither were the cause. The actual cause was, the incredible amounts of stress they're under was causing their bodies to break down. And it came in different ways. Like it would, wouldn't show up the same for everyone, you know? And so that made it very confusing. And I think and that's what I say. Like, I think the medical profession has the most trouble with, the, especially in the past, had the most trouble with, with like shell shock and post-traumatic stress because it didn't make sense to them because it didn't, it didn't uh, present itself in, in easy to understand ways. You know, like if someone has a cold, you can listen to their chest and they, they'll have a certain amount of yeah. muc- phlegm in their lungs and you can hear it and then you can treat it. Or if someone has a broken arm, you can see that it's broken and you can treat it and it'll, it'll heal. But if someone is broken from this incredible psychic weight that they've been carrying for a year or two years or however long, then what do you do? How do you treat that? There's no obvious way. You can't bandage it, you know. So, yeah, it's really interesting, I think. The uh, I, I'm... I enjoyed the uh, the the book Raina Tegelmeyer. I'm always getting the name wrong. Raina Tegelmeyer. Tegelmeyer uh, wrote recently called uh, Guts mm. that uh, is basically about dealing with stress and and and, uh, and anxiety you know, issues. Anxiety yeah. issues, and, is, and yeah. it kind of has a class of kids learning ways of dealing with stress and breathing mm. and what have you. I'm just. Uh, I hope that really is what's going on now in schools. I hope. I hope there is some sort of. I think there's more understanding of like just how much anxiety there is in for everyone. Like it's, ama- I- it's amazing to me 
that you know we went going through hippy dippy 60s <laughs> yes. and you know uh and and then we go into high school or junior high school or what have you and like there was never like a talk of oh you guys must be a little it's very stressful doing this uh, here's some breathing exercises or here's some things you could do to yeah. relieve stress here's some oh no those are the best years of your life yeah that's the thing you're told yeah, yeah you're told yeah yeah if, if you're not really enjoying these it's like you, know, you want to specifically go, what, what what part of the day is is the best part <laughs> the best part yeah going home after school yeah that like, was pretty good i would i, I would actually <laughs> like to ask a, a teacher who who you know obviously the teachers really like high school because they became high school teachers so there must have been something in high school that made them go i like this so much i want this to be my life <laughs> but to go like mm. what was the part of school yeah. that you liked the best what was what was it what are you remembering as the best part Maybe yeah i'm missing out something on, on on that bit yeah you know but yeah it is just surprising there's like something like just basic meditation just like deep breathing like let's Can I just, just defend teachers for a second and oh, say please. maybe maybe they didn't enjoy it maybe they think that so, so they want to go. They back want to go back fix and it? fix it. Yeah, sure, that is fine as well. Yeah. What did you? And then I'd ask, what did you like the least? Mm. What's the things that you wanted to fix, and have you been able to? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, a good teacher is a. You know, I'm sure you. I don't know. You, I know you didn't like school very much, but I. Nope. I experienced teachers who I thought were very good teachers who were really. I think I had some good teachers. I'll give you that. Just yeah. the whole thing of school was not not for you, not yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just 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 having. Uh, a factor of random violence that was uh, that could spring at any time took away from and you know just yeah. going well you like the good bits right yes but then in the hallways <laughs> afterwards like in yeah, between yeah. a guy would punch me in the back as mm. hard as he could or you know I just get kicked down you know some stairs and like yeah that really it doesn't fucking matter what the rest of school was like <laughs> yeah, yeah. if you've got that random factor going on yeah, then yeah. it's all then it's all over. You know, uh, but sorry, I was just going to say like it just something like a gym class. It feels like now, you know, we're learning how to stretch. We're learning how to do this. We're learning how to do that. Let's take five minutes and just breathe. Let's yeah. just take five minutes and just breathe. Mm. And just uh, it's just like it's not like meditation wasn't around then. It's not like people didn't know about those things. It's just very weird to me that that never, ever, ever got brought up, especially well, with so many fucking hippie sure. ta teachers. Yeah, but I mean, for hippies though, I mean, they were self-medicating. They weren't. They weren't dealing with. They weren't dealing with the reality. They were escaping the reality. You know, like like I say, I mean. But they did meditate. PTS, but post-traumatic stress syndrome is not an old idea. It's no. a new idea. It. It was also it, called it, battle fatigue. It comes yeah. after. I know, but those those yeah. those kind of catch-all things, they they really were for the most severe cases mm. where people were like literally like sh trembling. You know, but people who like seem normal, they just went home. You know, they got to they got to drink away their 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 anxieties. They got to drink away their issues. They got to you know be remote from their family. They got to be they had to be violent. They had got to be whatever. They were never treated for for those kind of things that weren't obviously problems, right? Yeah. And you know, like like so, yeah, like something like like the idea of post traumatic stress syndrome, like. Like I say, I went through it after I had cancer, and that was never discussed as a as a thing. You know, like there's no word, there was no set of words was called post traumatic any, stress. Was there any therapy or anything for you after after? Cancer? No, no. I mean, I was actually asked by my doctor who felt like I had, who had felt like I had gone, uh, been such like a model patient to to talk to people, like to be like a count to counsel people. 
Okay. And cancer, but and I said I'm willing to do it, but I, I guess I never followed up, and they never followed up with me. But but um, yeah, I mean, as a model patient, you know, like it's just so weird because I feel like like a model patient because I had like the world's best avoidance strategy, or you know, I was able to like completely compartmentalize my life away, like and just kind of like ignore that giant looming reality, uh, which it worked for me. But that doesn't mean that you're dealing with with it. You know, it just means that you're. Shutting yourself off. I just off. remember, like, yeah, after, after, I don't say like after, after, but like, I remember you saying to me after you, after you had cancer, you know, how uh, I'm the only person that uh, that's had cancer and uh, and not been at all changed by it. Like everyone else says, and my life has changed. And I got a different perspective, mm. and I see everything different now. And every day is precious. And here's what it's like for me. It's exactly the same. There's <laughs> well, no difference. I had it, and I and I thought at the time. Well, that's bullshit. Yeah, but it's not my place to say it's bullshit. <laughs> but that is me. clearly fucking bullshit. You should have called me on that one. No, nope, I mean I shouldn't because you because you needed to think that. At least. <laughs> well, that felt like a control thing of just like mm. it didn't it didn't get me in that way. Yeah, but it did get me that way for sure. And yeah, it's funny that I do think that's funny. I mean, I'm sure I was saying it partly as to be dramatic, or whatever, or be hyperbolic about something. But yeah, it didn't. Yeah, it did did change me obviously it did change me a lot like i you know but i can only see that in retrospect because i'm remarkably dim about my own self so uh i'm i mentioned this once again i mentioned this in listening party which is that i i get other people to fill in fill in the questionnaires about myself because i i know myself so little that i never answer them accurately so it's like well you do it for me because you'll be more accurate than i will be what what are these for what are these questionnaires like you know like a like a personality test or whatever Okay. Like I just, I'm so like online. Yeah. Well, like if you do the Myers, whatever Myers okay. Briggs kind of personality thing. I, th- I think you have to do it though. I don't think it counts if someone else does it. Yeah, but they're more accurate than I'll be. That's not. I'll get the wrong. I'll get the wrong thing. About. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get all the wrong things. Yeah. I'll come up with some personality. You, you tell them if I have a headache. <laughs> I'll come up with some personality, and Lisa and the girls will look at it and go like, "Oh, that's not you at all. Like, why would you even think that's you? That's ridiculous." They're like, "Okay, Oof. yeah, it's just weird." I think because. Yeah, the idea that you have like some kind of idea of what you want to be rather than recognizing what you are, you know. So what I want to be is someone who could go through cancer and come out of it without any effects at all. Reality is it's impossible to go through something like that and not change your life. Even for the best, you know, I would say that I'm a way more like, um, I don't know if the word's optimistic, but I'm way more um, positive, you know, and I look at everything in my life as like a blessing or even just like, like people complain about aging, I would say the same thing, you know, it's better than the alternative. Because yeah. it's true. The alternative is not to age, and not to age is not to be alive. So that's better. Like, I'm perfectly happy being 53, and I'll never complain about the, you know, it's not fun to be sore and stuff like that, and get up in the morning and your arm doesn't work properly. But it's better than whatever else, I assume it's better than the alternative. Maybe the alternative is great, I have no idea, but I doubt it. So yeah, and there's plenty of time for the alternative at some point in the future. <laughs> that's right. Don't worry about that. If you're worried that's, about that, that's right. It'll, gonna... it'll last a very long time. That uh, that uh, alternative, unless of course, like we discussed last week, time is uh, what is it like a horizontal? You can't think of it like that. Rhombus. You can't think of it like that. A parallelogram. When I say it like that, what I mean is that time is occurring all at once, but you still are living a full span of your life within that time. Yes. So you still like because we got into the thing about free will and and determinism and stuff like that. But within the reason that I like to think of it like that is like a standing up line rather than a horizontal line. As a horizontal line, you cannot time travel. 
but a vertical line where everything's happening at once. You can conceivably time travel within that frame because you're not because everything's happening once, so you can travel within those various points of, of happening. Horizontally, they're past. They're gone. They're never yeah. to be seen again. But in a vertical set setting, then time is existing all at once, so it is conceivable that you could bump yourself out of your time into another time period. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, It's funny you mention that, because uh, for all my thing about like uh, being not enjoying memory loss this week, um, I used to think like whenever I couldn't remember something, I was like, oh, that's when you're time traveling. Okay. That's when your uh, time travel self comes back and uh, takes you over for just a little bit of time and walks around. It's like that's why you can't remember it, and that's all, that's all fine. And it'll always put you right back to where you were, so it'll all you know all make some sense. You go like, what did I eat? Mm, popcorn. Weird. Well, that's interesting. So you think you think if that if you time traveled, you wouldn't. It would be more like um, like sort of astral plane sort of thing where you go in, you visit in another body, like you t- you take over. Control it would take of over. Your, I think your own body. Take over control of yourself. Yeah, take over your for for a period of time. Okay, yeah. interesting. So you couldn't go to a time that you didn't exist in. You can only go to a time that you exist. Well, okay. That's where it all gets weird because <laughs> you obviously up, you always have existed because matter yeah. can't be created or destroyed. Yeah. So you do exist, but you do exist like separately. Like you are before before you're born, you're your mom and your dad. So I guess conceivably you could either be your mom or your dad. Okay. Then we're going backwards that one. <laughs> now you could either be your any of those grandparents. Yeah, then yeah. we're going back even further. So I'd say the farther you back in time, yeah. the more people you could conceivably be. Mm. Wow. That's good. I like that idea. That's good. Yeah, I don't know. I just remember I was, when I was a kid, I was trying, a teenager, I was trying to write a t- time travel story and I was trying to think how to make time travel work. And I thought, oh, if you make time vertical, then you can make it work. So there you go. That's why I think that I'd prefer to think of it that way. Since time is merely a, a construct and exists and doesn't exist at the same time, you know, you can do whatever you want with it. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> I could also see it as a, uh, a rubber band where. Okay, so say you travel, uh, what time would you like to travel back to? Let's say we'll go back to 1966. 1966. Okay. So I can't inhabit myself because I would be a baby. So you would be your father or your mother. Who would you like to be? Okay, I'll be my father. Father, okay. Feel uncomfortable going into my mother. Father in 1966. So you... you, Well, 66, I could still be in my mother. So yeah, I don't want to be in her twice. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> so uh that's kind of horrible so you become sounding. your fa- you become your father yeah now time is going to try and repair itself at some point so you only got a limited amount of time here so here's okay. how it's going to go you're going to be your father yeah so you got a limited amount of time i don't know how much time you've got but like you can go and do whatever you want to do from the point that you say you show up monday at eight in the morning yeah uh monday eight in the morning you, you're going to like nine ten keep going you go and do some stuff and then you start to feel a little bit of a tug on you. Okay. Just like, oh, time's repairing itself. Yeah. You can do a little bit more, a little bit more, a little more. And then like a rubber band, it snaps back. It snaps you back to eight on Monday. And then your 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 dad continues on uh, like you never were there. And okay. You're, and you're shot back to where uh, you are. Huh. Yeah. So, so you can do things. You can affect things. But time will reverse itself and snap it all back so that you didn't have an effect because it will always try and okay. fix itself. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, see, with the idea of vertical time, you can, af- because time's happening all at once, it doesn't matter if you affect time in the past or, or present, because it's, it's, since it's all occurring in one, when, when, you know, blink, one blink of, one blink of God's eye, then you, uh, it doesn't, you know, you just, it's all malleable. So, yeah. Anyway, 
Anyway, it's a silliness. That's our feelings on time travel it's a and silliness. mortality. <laughs> and, uh, whatever. It was weird when, uh, speaking of, th- this is going to be one of these episodes because we're dealing with mortality this week and whatever, but things are, <laughs> things are good. We'll be around a while. Um, when you were talking about, we were talking about trauma and, you know, kind of bullying and, little, and it's, it's, t- it's tough to say like bullying as its own trauma when you talk about soldiers because that's the extreme, right? Of course, like of course, yeah. life or death yeah, yeah. and what have you. But there's also personal trauma and things yeah, that yeah. people deal the with. Yeah, yeah, low-level anxieties and, and stuff. And when yeah. you were saying how, you know, uh, they would come back from the war and drink away their problems, uh, you said that just as I'm drinking a Pepsi. And then I was going like, <laughs> oh, I wonder why I'm drinking a Pepsi. And then I went like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's why. It's because when I was bullied, I would go to my grandparents' place and that was my safe spot. Okay. That was my safe spot where I did my creative stuff and that's where I would like make comic books and I would I would build things out of construction paper and I would learn how to cook and I all all these things that like really affect my life now. But one of the things that I would also get there because I couldn't get it at home was Pepsi. Okay. So like they would uh, I would I would, comfort, I would drink yeah. a Pepsi and it's a it's a comfort thing. Mm-hmm. And I realized now like when, I realized while you were saying that basically everything I do to comfort myself now is almost all based on things that I did at my grandparents' home. That's where my safe spot for bullies and from anxiety and everything was. And then, of course, like as an adult, this is not the healthiest stuff in the world. <laughs> you know, all these things that were fine when you were a kid yeah. aren't necessarily good for you when you're uh, when you're an adult. But yeah, it just made me think like, oh yeah, that was. I don't really drink alcohol, but this is my thing. That's your yeah. comfort thing. Yeah. Well, it's better for you than alcohol. Mm-hmm. So I did. I did. In I, moderation. I did try to overindulge in alcohol fairly recently, like in the last couple of years when things were getting a little bit okay. much because I went like, I know that I don't have a drinking problem, yeah. but I also know like if I drink alcohol, I will change my mood. And my mood was like so down with things that were going on. Yeah. They went like, at least this is a change and a change is better than anything. Uh. And, uh, and then I went, this might lead to a problem. And I did like just <laughs> stop it. But huh. yeah, interesting. Yeah, I. It's funny. Like I don't know where it came from. Partly, okay. Partly, as a kid, as a teenager, I didn't want to grow up. Like I didn't want to be an adult. So I think a lot of things that I associate with being an adult are things I don't like. So alcohol, coffee, things like that. Working. Those are you know things I associate with being pubic hair. Pubic hair. Yeah, I didn't like the idea of becoming hairy. Oh, okay. Like I remember my friend who's a year older than me, I remember when his legs got hairy. And I was like, ugh. And then a year later, my legs were hairy. And I was also, ugh. <laughs> so yeah, it's just things like that that were like signs of like becoming a man, becoming like, you know, because I was just like, oh, I don't want responsibility. This That's horrible. And uh, It did seem bad. Yeah. Yeah. It still does. And so yeah, it's, uh, so yeah, I think there's part of that. And But there's other things that I don't know where it came from. But yeah, I have like these negative, I think partly because my, I wouldn't say my dad had a drinking problem, but he did, well, I, I guess he did like to over, like drink too much sometimes. And he, but he would get like really mad and sometimes violent, violently yeah. mad. And it wasn't super common, but it did happen. Or he would just be getting really like angry or, or seemingly over nothing. Right. You know, like, cause I didn't play football or something like that, you know. And so, yeah, so it has a negative connotation that way where it just feels like, you know, just drinking is this, this angriness, you know. Would that come out of nowhere when, like, he was mad at you for not playing football? Would it be oh, like, yeah. It'd just be out of nowhere. Yeah. It'd just be, like, a dinner dinner, or whatever, and you just start to, like, get moody and then go off on something, and you're just like, what is 
what is this about? Like, you know, I haven't played football my entire life, Dad. So I don't now, know why I'm getting to, mad about it now. Yeah, not to derail too much, but like, did he want to play football and he couldn't? Well, he play did play. Fo- he did play football mm. when he was growing. When like, I remember as a kid, him playing football. He would go out like in a, on an evening and he would play did with his friends. Did he want to be a professional football player? And it no, didn't I don't work think out? that. He just enjoyed sports, okay. and I didn't enjoy sports. I was a boy who liked to sit in his room and draw and read books, and so you know, like that made him mad you know that i didn't do manly things i guess or it wasn't like active that way i mean i was an active kid yeah i like to play outside but my playing was like you know i would like i would have a bow and arrow and my friend and i would go and we'd live in like some sort of post-apocalyptic scenario where the trees were mutants or whatever you know and we'd shoot them with bow and arrows so it'd be like these kind of high concept fantasy games or whatever nothing to do with like street hockey which i never played um which there's a good there's a good story about lying that's attached to street hockey, which I might might, might tell people one day, but um, it was uh, yeah so the so the, those so yeah now I'm having this thing where like when I met Lisa Lisa used to drink like she when she was in her twenties early twenties she drank like she loves Tom Collins or she did when she was younger she doesn't really drink very much now sometimes she'll have a bit of wine but she doesn't really drink at all and she's had stopped before we met basically and i've always said i don't mind her drinking but because actually she's really fun drunk like super cute but but uh she doesn't really want like it or want to do that anymore sure. so that's fine but now i'm dealing with eve drinking mary let's get mary mary kind of got my distaste for it for whatever reason and but eve is in like she's in and that's you know it's fine theoretically for me but i have a hard time thinking about it so i just don't bother i just you know Okay, there's a, a bunch of things, a bunch of like cans of stuff in the fridge. I'm not going to, or there's a, suddenly a bottle of Bombay Sapphire in the fridge. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm just not going to say anything about it. I'm not going to worry about it. You know, just hope that she's being responsible. And I'm sure she is. She's yeah. a very smart and responsible girl. So, yeah, but you can see my hands are moving. I'm making nervous hand rubbing things just talking about it. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. And I don't really know where the, the nervousness or the ill at easeness comes from. But I know that drunk people make me scared. Not scared, like I'm gonna run away, or like yeah. But I just know you're ner- talking about like not ever want to watch that drunk history. Show. I have watched drunk history, but it makes me nervous because yeah. drunk people make me nervous because it feels like things are gonna get out of control, and I don't like that idea. It makes me it makes me uncomfortable in a comedy scene, like a stand up scene, because the only times people get violent are when they're uh, when they've had alcohol in a comedy mm, scene. Yeah, and that's both in the audience and the uh, stand ups. Yeah, who get very uh, especially macho. They get very you know confrontational sure and uh, the alcohol just pushes them that uh, little uh, distance not not as much yeah maybe a little bit in improv maybe a little bit in improv but much more in Mm stand-up so i don't i don't i don't care for it in those environments that much i wonder does stand-up attract a different sort of person than improv does in terms of personality types you know what there's so much crossover Mm. um but i think you are alone on stage yeah so you kind of live or die you know, uh, by, by, by yourself. It's, it's, if, if, if it's a good environment, then when you come off after you've bombed, people will be joking with you and laughing and it'll be okay and they'll be supportive. Yeah. If it's a bad environment, uh, then you'll feel very alone or people give you the big distance and cold shoulder. Okay. And then, yeah, yeah that'll, uh, that'll make things, uh, you're like the field goal kicker who missed the field goal. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's, uh, you know what it feels more like? It feels like, 
you're toxic right now. I can't okay. get near you because yeah, okay. you're going to, I'm going to get unfunny leprosy. off you. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get unfunny off you. Yeah. So I've got to like, I got to stay away from you. Yeah. You're a bad vibe. And, and okay. yeah, I, I found that weird. Like when I started to get back into stand up after being away from it. And then like I'd, I'd have a uh, set that would bomb. And then the people that were joking with me earlier would just like give a, a distance. And it was just like, really? Well, that's as <laughs> dumb. You know, you're going to stink it up sometime and yeah. I'm going to do better and you're going to do this. And it's just a long haul thing. And it's like, but they, yeah, they were just, it was so serious. that just like, oh, uh, how could you? you know, it's just like, oh, it's, it's so, it's so fucking amateur. Like it's so amateur. And it's all these people that consider themselves professionals. I'm just, this is such an amateur fucking way of dealing with things. Like on, on anything, like anything you do, like. It's very superstitious. Yeah. It's superstition. But you know, there's some of that too with like anything like you, you know, you, you do a TV show or a film or something and it doesn't work. And it's like, oh, I got to keep my distance from that person. It's like, no, there's going to be something later. And everyone does a stinker. And, and then you do a good. And because you do good doesn't mean you won't do bad next time. Just like knock it off. It's a long, it's a long (laughs) haul situation. Yeah. But yeah, I guess that's how they, uh, it's interesting. It's something that once again, Mary and I have talked about on listening party is the idea of, you know, when we think of creative people, we think of like, you know, kin- like these sort of timid souls, these open people, these contemplative things. But the reality is there's lots of like jock creative people, you know, that come out of who are super competitive creative people who, who want to like, whose ambition is to stomp all over the timid creative people yeah. and to get their own voice out there. You know what I mean? And, but this timid creative person uh, you're talking about. They still do the work and they have to promote themselves. They, they. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're aware of them. Yeah. So they must have some hustle to them or at least I think I do, some, but I th- some shell they're able to put sure. on to get out there. But I think so, it can break them too. Like I think it's someone oh, yeah, like, yeah. like Brian Wilson who, you know, was sporty as like a high school athlete. He was a high, but I think he did that more to please his dad than for himself. But, you know, he, but he was no, he was no like, he was no match for like a Mike Love who was like this sort of alpha male Mm-hmm. super competitive dominating guy you know who could who basically like you know bullied everyone into but you his could probably vision. get that around the office oh you get that anywhere but i, I mean, just mean the, like the it's dynamic in- probably still plays sure, sure. but i just mean it's interesting to me like because we the way we think of artists we kind of forget that there's all kinds of people who make up art so someone like types. a brian wilson yeah when he started did yeah. he start on stage by himself or with a group with his brothers and yeah, it was basically with his, a family. With his brothers, yeah, it was a family. Mm, so okay, that's a bit of a, it was a very, it was a very comfortable situation for us. Oh, okay, yeah, then, yeah. yeah. No, it's interesting. Like, there's lots of people. Like another one I would point to is Gene Clark, who was in the Birds, who was their main songwriter when the band started, who had gone, who played in folk groups around. I think he grew up in Oklahoma, and so he, you know he played in groups around that area, and then he's. He kind of got discovered by uh, a big time group, like mass group, folk group, like the, I think he was, so he was in the New Christie Minstrels for a while. And then he moved out of that into the folk scene in LA, kind of made connections and stuff there. And then, you know, then became a member of the birds. And so, yeah, so this is, but he's an incredibly sensitive guy who had a lot of trouble dealing with the business part of it and all that kind of the tensions and stuff. So he was like the perfect victim for someone like David Crosby, who's a super alpha male bully, you know, who, who like hectored Clark so much about his guitar playing that Clark just stopped playing guitar in the group. Yeah. But the reason he did that was because he wanted to play guitar. David Crosby wanted to play guitar. So he just like made fun of Gene Clark's playing until he could do it. So he then he took over that part, that role in the band and just stuff like that. Right. But that's just because he grew he was raised in a family that was well off and he went to the private schools. And so he grew up in this all-male environment 
where that's what you either dominated or you died in this in that kind of situation right so he learned to like how to dominate and how to like get his way you know and so he took that into groups into a group dynamic you know so where you had someone who's this sort of very creative quiet sort of person like gene clark this is no match for someone who's you know like this sort of terrorist in the band she just wants his own way i just find that really fascinating though this sort of different types yeah. david crosby is a super talented musician and that's what i'm saying about him in no way it means that he's a bad musician he's a great great musician great singer songwriter but i think at that time and i i think he's sort of changed now but at that time not a great person i'll, I'll say one thing that i found about stand-ups and it's uh if you find someone who because there's also different types of stands with different types of personalities and couldn't be more radically different yeah but there's one thing i found which is if you have one who's the old philosopher uh philosopher yeah the one who will go on and on about what stand-up is mm. uh, and will tell, tell you, you know, their, uh, their origin story and, you know, what all this stuff about stand-up. Or, or, or the one who will apply purity tests okay. to other stand-up comedians. I had a discussion recently with someone who was saying that you have to write your own stand-up material or it's not true stand-up. And I brought up Richard Pryor. You know, uh, he didn't write all of his own material. I'm trying to remember the name of the of the stand-up who uh, who wrote a lot of his stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, he's, he's Lily Tomlin, a, not Lily Tomlin. Oh, okay, no. um, uh, just very angry uh, guy, bald. Uh, you'd know him to 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 see him. Anyway, Dave Chappelle, not Dave Chappelle at all. Uh, but uh, I brought up Richard Pryor, and he went, "Well, then he's not a true stand-up." And it's like, well, if you're if Richard Pryor isn't a true stand-up, then no <laughs> one's a true stand-up. But yeah, he sincerely yeah. thought, yeah, yeah. like you know, no, no, this is uh, you got to do you got to do your own stuff. And it's like, well, this is a very new idea that you're bringing up. Mm -hmm. You're a new stand-up, even though he's been doing it for like ten years or whatever, even longer. Yeah, and it's like you're you're applying, a, you know, you've come in, gone, okay, I'm here to the party, and here's what the rules are. And it's like, no, <laughs> that's not how this goes at all. But if you're if you're the type of person who will be the the old philosophy guy and will apply purity tests and will do this kind of stuff. Uh, they will very seldom ever make it. Okay. They will very seldom ever make it because I am watching you right now and I'm seeing a door and I'm now seeing you uh, build all these mounds of dirt that you're putting in front of that door. Okay. And you're and 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 you're more concerned with these mounds of dirt yeah. than you are with getting through the door. Mm. And you've got to just get through that door. Yeah. You've just got to you just got to do it. You just got to just do it and don't don't judge others. Don't judge others. Don't care about what others are doing. Yeah. Don't make a big deal about what you're doing. Just do the thing that you're fucking doing. Don't yeah. tell me your philosophy about what you're doing. <laughs> and don't tell me why the other people who are doing well are wrong and aren't yeah. good. You know, don't. Just just keep doing your thing. And, you know, maybe it'll catch on. Maybe it won't. I don't know. I wish you the best. But I know if you're so concerned with everything else, it's yeah. not, it's not, you're not going to be able to fit through the door. You've got too much stuff going on. Interesting. I wonder if that's a form of anxiety in some cases where you fear failure, better to like cr create a bunch of like f rules that are almost impossible to, f to, to meet. But then that's okay because that would explain why you're. Well, you're also yeah. at least you, I'm you're pure. failing with honor. I'm, yeah, I'm pure. I passed Paul my own purity Mooney test. Is who I'm thinking about. Paul Mooney, uh, the comedian, wrote oh. for a lot of Richard Pryor's okay. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Interesting that he could take on that voice. Of, yeah. Well, he was a, he was another very uh, had uh, had a lot of anger to him. Okay, and uh, and yeah, they 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 worked uh, they worked together. Yeah, it was just the same. And also uh, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy used to work with uh, 
Um, Keenan Ivory Wayans. Oh, Keenan Ivory Wayans. Yeah, yeah. Keenan Ivory Wayans wrote a big bunch of uh, Raw, mm. and I think he also wrote for uh, D- Delirious. But okay. yeah, this was just a this is just a standard thing. Yeah. And if you're saying to me now, Eddie Murphy wasn't a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Well, then you're wrong. <laughs> and also, if like you know all the stand-up comedians from the '70s, you know, are you telling me like, uh, yeah, you know, very few of them wrote wrote all their own stuff. Yeah. Rodney Dangerfield wasn't a stand-up comedian then. Fine. Oh, he had writers as well? Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. And, you know, you look at someone like, uh, you know, uh, David Letterman and Jay Leno used to write for Jimmy Walker. This is just standard. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what it used to be was if you were the successful comedian, you would hire the lesser, not lesser, but like less successful comedians yeah. to write for you. Yeah. And they would make a living doing that, which would be able to make them make enough money they could keep working on their own acts. And then they could grow up to be grow up they were adults but like they could go <laughs> on to be jay leno and they could be david letterman and sure. how how they would make their money is they would write for the more successful comedian of the time and then hopefully later on when letterman's got a tv show yeah he brings jimmy walker on and you know is is kind of keeping keeping jimmy walker going past the point where jimmy walker is done yeah it's just yeah. it's just how things went huh yeah but that was wrong and you've got to every <laughs> word that comes out of your mouth must be uh from your own pen and it's like disagree strong disagreement there's so many different ways of, of yeah. talking about doing things oh for sure for sure yes i mean yeah okay no you've got a different point of view it's okay no i was just thinking i was gonna say but it seems that if you think about it the best ones are the the ones who are so wholly original to themselves but that's not necessarily true then you wouldn't count richard Pryor as one of those well, that's why I said it's not necessarily true. I was going back farther in my mind. I was thinking like someone like W.C. Fields who wrote his own movies and directed them to a degree. And... Did he write all of his own material mm-hmm. in W.C. Fields? Yeah. Okay. Yes, he did. But I think because he's so holy himself that it's hard, really hard to... Did he come out of vaudeville? Yes, he did. He was a juggler. Well, this is a, th- this is a weird thing about vaudeville. I was Again, I was, I was um, just uh, watching the Steve Martin uh, Masterclass. Okay. Uh, and he was talking about how in the vaudeville days you would have 15 minutes of material and do them for 10 years. For yeah, for, that'd be it. That'd yeah. be your act. You would travel around. Yeah. Saying now you've got to like come up with a new hour every year, and to mm-hmm. him that's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's like how 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 do you do that? I'd, like yeah. an incredibly tight. He was saying like the best the one of the best days of his life was when he went from doing uh, he used to do two shows a night. Yeah, and he had to do two two like one hour and plus shows a night. And then he went down to – he was successful enough that he could just do one show a night. And when he was able to do that, he was able to trim uh, down to just the best material and put it all into the one hour. Yeah. And it was like, ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, to have to do like a new hour every – oh, my gosh. There's a lot of work. But people start and- – It'd be like a band and like – you can never do your hits again, <laughs> ever. Hey, Rolling Stones. That, that can happen, though. It could, but hey, Rolling Stones. Hey, Rolling Stones. Every time you go out, yeah. you've got to have only new material. Sure. Every time. Sure. But you look or at someone, people will go, boo! <laughs> but look at someone like Paul McCartney, who, when the Beatles ended, he never he didn't play Beatles songs for, for a long time. It took him a long time to come back around to play, play this, those songs, you know. Just, and, and that's fair, but... Imagine every year having to come out with a new, new al- album, new album, What's and it? then go on tour. Yeah. And when you're going on tour, do nothing from your album. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, it's crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, someone like W.C. Fields was very lucky in the sense that yes, when he created, he created a very good comedy juggling act, and he did that for for years and years. Someone like Bob Hope would have writers, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Benny had writers, of course. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it was Mark the- Brothers had writers. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was all. It, was it really all, depends. Marx Brothers really weren't stand ups. So I'm trying to think of like oh, stand ups. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, W.C. Fields wasn't really stand up either. I was sorry, sorry. I was thinking more of comedians. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, like, you know, like the thing about it is, yes, yeah, sometimes, sometimes you have a great writer performer. But sometimes you just have a great performer. Like someone like Jack Benny is a great performer as a, as, or Bob Hope. It's just the delivery is so perfect, you know, that you can pretty much put anything there and it will get a laugh because they just know how to deliver the joke. They know, they know the persona. They know how to milk it. They know how to, to make it work, you know, and it's, yeah, I mean, that's. I mean, if you're a Henny Youngman, what's it matter if you write it or not? You're just, <laughs> you're, the, you're the person putting jokes in there. Like yeah. again, if you're Lenny Bruce, yeah. Lenny Bruce basically has to write for Lenny Bruce because only Lenny Bruce can be Lenny Bruce. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah. That all makes that all makes sure. sense. Though you would think with someone like Eddie Murphy, only Eddie Murphy could be Eddie Murphy, but mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy, you know, had writers on Saturday Night Live. Sure. So but there most, was a, of your, most of your favorite characters, probably that Eddie Murphy did, were not written by Eddie Murphy by any means. Yeah. But by that point, it was a lot different. I mean, when people like Lenny Bruce or Mark Saul were performing, there was no like infrastructure of comedy. Those people were pretty much making it up as they went along. You know, like they. They started off as having like one place where they performed for a long time, the Hungry Eye or wherever. Right. And then eventually there was like different places, like different bars you could go to that you might, that might have like a, a stand up part, you know, or a, a, a ability to have stand up at it. But someone like Lenny Bruce for years has played strip clubs because that was an actual stage where you could do stand up comedy, you know, and also other things but you got uh you know you had like a place to perform which was same, like a regular like venue Jay Leno, same with uh, you know up way up until the 70s and early 80s yeah strip clubs for sure because it gave you a stage and you know there was in those days there were so few stages and you would think i mean i mean the the uh stereotype that you think is like well people aren't there to see a comedian they're there to see you know, a naked lady but if you've just seen like three naked ladies in a row yeah it's maybe not bad to have someone come out and just tell a couple of jokes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I'll yeah. take a break. Yeah, all right. And now we'll bring on the ladies again. Yeah. yeah. If you've ever been to a burlesque show and you go like, boy, this is going to be something good. <laughs> ladies taking off their clothes. Oh, yeah. And what, in a comedic way? All right. This is going to be after the third. I'm so bored. I mean, I respect and it's great, but I need uh, anything else. A juggler. Ah, juggler. Sweet, sweet juggler. So nice to see you, juggler. Someone's got a yo-yo. Bless you, yo-yo. Ah, it's the great. Okay, now, now I'm fine. Let's go see. Let's see someone else. It's true. Yeah. You do need. You need some variety. You do need some variety. Yeah. <laughs> we certainly went in a great circle. I enjoyed that circle of life that we just traveled. Yep. In. We good. went horizontal. <laughs> we went. No, we went vertical. Yeah, we did. Um, we're uh, we've we've still we've still got time, but I'm going to go to our uh, mailbag if that's sure okay right if you now. want because you know. Uh, I can I can still read even though uh, having fentanyl flashbacks. Um, last uh, last week we asked uh, what's a word that we need for something currently missing from the English language. Yes, and we also asked uh, please give us an example of a sexy crime. So we're mm. talking about sexy crimes. Okay. Um, sexy so crime. by the way, first of all, we got a nice letter from uh, Matthew uh, uh, S. Smith saying, "Where's the episode?" And he went, "Oh, geez," and we fixed it. And we put the episode up. Well, that was kind of funny because. What I normally do is I, I post the episode, then I click on the link and go to the website, and then I check I turn on the uh, podcast there yeah. to make sure it works. So I had posted, and I think I was doing something, and so then I went to the website a couple of minutes after I had posted and discovered it wasn't working properly. So then I went in to fix it, and when I was doing that, I noticed there was a comment 
I was like, oh, someone commented on the web, on the thing already. What's going on? And so then I checked and it was Matthew saying, where's the episode? And I was just in the midst of, of repairing it. So I just quickly put it up and then I pretended that I didn't know what he was talking about. And, uh, but yeah, so he was sort of amazed at how quickly I fixed it. But it was just because I was in the middle of, I just posted the show. So I was kind of amazed that he'd already checked it by the time I'd posted it. But I guess I must have gotten distracted by whatever I was doing. Now, uh, last week, we were asking, uh, we, we asked previously for uh, titles for Sneaky Dragon that would not be Sneaky Dragon. And uh, our friend Nina Matsumoto, uh, Dragon, <laughs> uh, who's uh, dealing with a cold right now, said uh, Three Dog Man and Friend. Yes. And neither of us understood what we're, that we was. We were confused. We, I mean, we were just dumbfounded. Yeah. What and, could this possibly and, be about? Uh, and, uh, this has nothing to do with us. So she responded. She's probably it, talking about different people. She responded, and I'll yeah. try to respond in the voice that she likes, which is her as our uh, angry boss. Yeah. Look! <laughs> oh! It's because David eats three hot dogs in one sitting. <laughs> Ian dubbed him David Three Dog Dedrick. <laughs> <laughs> to which you responded, oh my gosh, this is why I have young friends like Nina or my daughters around so they can remember the things I forget. To which Nina responded, Ian's brought it up in multiple episodes. <laughs> no, so I thought for sure you guys would get it. I want you both in my office. <laughs> and uh, we got uh, a severe talking to. We did a tongue lashing. And uh, you were talking also last week about Ragnarok. I believe a TV show called yeah, Ragnarok. Yeah, and uh, and I said it reminds me of uh, of another show, mm. uh, and uh, and uh, then Matthew Smith responded yet again. Where's the episode? No, <laughs> I, he said, Ian, I think the show uh, about the family of Norse gods might have been the Almighty Johnsons, and I believe that is absolutely correct. Not the Wotan clan, as I was thinking. Oh wow, my oh my. <laughs> So, uh, we have another correction here oh. from our friend Chris Roberts, oh. uh, who wrote, I think your crack team of behind-the-scenes <laughs> fact-checkers may be slipping, Dave. Mind your own business, Chris. Robert Benton has yeah. written some fine movies. Yes. But Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid ain't one of them. <laughs> uh, that was an original screenplay by William Goldman. Uh, that was won, a test, and Ian failed his it. first Oscar for it okay. and went on to write novels and scripts for Marathon Man, The Princess Bride, mm. and many others. Uh, Goodwill Hunting? Who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? No, probably they wrote it. No, it's fine. It's fine. He didn't write it. Maybe he did. Who knows? How about Year of the Comet? And how about it? And many others, <laughs> as I'm sure you know, his memoirs of life as a screenwriter, adventures in the screen uh, trade, and which lie did I tell are both fantastic reads as well. Agreed. I have read Adventures, not the other one. Speaking of Butch, though, uh, David is quite Butch. You're absolutely right. No, he didn't write that. Uh, <laughs> if I can hark back to one of the questions posed in episode 414. Oh, Lordy, that's a long time ago. Dave? <laughs> We're going to have to yeah. go back in time. Well, Get into the vertical time machine, Dave. <laughs> we better get Nina here to help us remember what we're talking about. Uh, there's a movie. All right. Uh, one of the questions posed in episode 414. Uh, that's a movie uh, where one scene throws the whole film off balance for me. Oh, okay. okay there okay. you are. Yeah, yeah. It's when school teacher Etta, Catherine Ross, returns home to find Sundance, Robert Redford, waiting in her dark bedroom with a gun. He mm. then tells her to undress, which she does, still at gunpoint. Uh, of course, it's ultimately revealed they're in a relationship. He's only acting and she's in on the pretense. But the reveal comes after we in the audience have sat through a voyeuristic scene that was clearly meant to be titillating, but instead feels creepily misogynistic and out of tune with the rest of the movie. That's true. That's a good, that's a good one, Chris. Words missing from English. How about webtracted? 
when you go online for a specific task but end up distracted by some trivia and totally forget the thing you wanted. E.g., I was meaning to pay the gas bill, but got web-tracted by that cat in the mirror. <laughs> yes, indeed. That is great. Web-tracted, very, very good, uh, uh, you know, uh, thing, word, thing, words. <laughs> uh, I had fentanyl earlier. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, Louise, our friend Louise, our good friend Louise, Louise, uh, writes and says, The English language could use some words to describe the emotions I feel when I watch coverage of politics or read the comment sections under news articles. How about indignant? The feeling of being indignant about how ignorant people can be. Dismisbelief. The feeling of disbelief when people dismiss obvious truths in favor of blatant lies. And doubtrage. The outrage you feel over people who doubt factual information. (laughs) These are excellent sniglets. And I need you to write these to Rich Hall currently. <laughs> he has changed his name and is living in England. He changed his name? He is a character in England. Uh, Kurt, Curtis, Otis, Otis B. Crenshaw, I believe. Oh, okay. He wears a cowboy hat. He's very, very popular uh, in, in England. Huh. Um, I believe Otis B. Crenshaw. I will look that up. Uh, and uh, as Rufus for sexy crimes, yeah. I'd say a sexy crime, sexy crime is one where the criminal, the victim, or the invis- investigator is sexy, preferably all three. <laughs> it's even sexier yeah. if the MacGuffin is also sexy. Okay. An early example of this is in The Three Musketeers, where the seductive Milady de Winter steals two diamonds from a set given to the handsome Duke of Buckingham by his lover, the beautiful Queen Anne of France. It's up to the dashing D'Artagnan to get the original diamonds and two replacements back to the Queen before Cardinal Richelieu can use the stolen diamonds as proof of her adulterous affair. And, <laughs> let me just say, I once played Cardinal Richelieu in a play... And I tried to play it as sexy as I could. Is that right? How'd, how'd that go? Pretty sexy. <laughs> Good for you. I grew a sexy beard. That's true, you did. Had some sexy time. I think you had long hair as well. I did not have that long hair. No. Oh, I you didn't, didn't have long hair? No, you didn't, I, I don't thought believe. You didn't have like a page boy cut for that? No, part? I don't believe I did. I, okay. uh, no, I know I didn't because I've got uh, footage <laughs> of that. And then I sang a sexy Somewhere Over the Rainbow song while someone was sexy tortured in yeah. Sexy Shadow. That was a good show. Yep. And then I had a sexy sword fight behind the mayor. <laughs> the actual mayor at the time. Pretty nice. Thank you very much, Louise. Thank you, Louise. Um, Dave. Yeah. Now, just going back to this whole uh, Three Dog Dedrick uh, situation. <laughs> yes. Imbroglio. What, what, was, uh, what, were, what were the flavors of hot dogs that you, uh, that you had? When you when you have three hot dogs, okay. I've got the menu uh, from oh. What Up Hot Dog. Oh, okay. What's up, hot dog? Good, good. Here. Uh, so this I'm, was nothing, by the way, everyone. These are just three regular hot dogs. One was the Chicago one. The Chicago. F- this is the Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field. Now let me yeah. tell you what's on that. Yeah, please do. That would be a Chicago style uh, hot dog mm-hmm. with tomato. Yep. Onions. Good, good stuff. Pickle. Love it. Sport peppers. Sure. Celery salt. Okay. Mustard. Relish. Very good. Then I had. The Seattle one? Would that be the Space Wiener? What's on the Space Wiener? That is a Seattle-style dog, indeed. That is cream cheese, caramelized onions, jalapenos, and Dijon mustard. Yes, I had that one. Very good. What goes well? You've, so you've had a little Chicago, a little Seattle. What what city uh, are we going to go with now? <laughs> going to have a little New York-style, perhaps? Or are we going to have a little Texas-style? What was on the New York one? Well, there is. I don't think there is a New York one. Okay. I think I just had a plain regular Wiener. 
with uh, mustard and relish to finish off and onions. Okay. That was my, my, my finito. So, uh, nothing. Like, those are just three hot dogs. Well, why is that? Uh, that's, uh, did you have no fries? I had some, yeah, I had, well, they have those, not really fries, right? They have like the, what are they, waffle fries or waffle, something? Waffle chips, yeah. Waffle, waffle chips, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, those. so you had waffle chips as well. Oh, yeah. Did you have a beverage? Yep. What'd you have? I had a Coke. You had a Coke, so you had Coke. Yep. You had uh, waffle chips. Yep. You had three hot dogs. I did have three hot dogs. My, my, But, my. you know, here's the thing, like, what, for whatever reason, when I grew up, it was a regular <laughs> thing, like, it was a regular dinner for us as kids yeah. and teenagers and 20-year-olds. Uh, my mom would make macaroni and cheese, and we would have hot dogs with them. Well, let me tell you something. If you go there to uh, your What's Up Hot Dog, you could have what they call the mat and cheese, S-H-E apostrophe S. Now, that is a mac and cheese yeah. with bacon bits, okay. green onions, black pepper, uh, hot dog. Hmm. Did you ever put your mac and cheese on a hot dog? No, I would just have it on the side, and then I would have hot dogs with her. Okay. So, I mean, I say regularly, you know, I have... Well, I used to have like four hot dogs. Whoa! <laughs> four dog, Dedrick. <laughs> now I've cut back. I usually just have two hot dogs. Okay. With macaroni and cheese though on the side. Okay. It's a regular meal. I love it. It's one of my favorite favorite dinners. But you have never thought of putting the macaroni and cheese on the hot dog. Madness. This is the sandwich man I'm talking to. Hey, you are. But I mean, I just feel like, like with macaroni and cheese, like it's just so good with like some ketchup on it and some pepper, and then you have your hot dog separate from that with their. You know, Miracle Whip, relish, mustard, some some diced onions. Oh man, that's living, living large. So, do you make uh, make your own mac and cheese, or is it like? Yes, pops? I always make my own mac and cheese. Yes. Okay. What's your What's your mac and cheese? Mac and cheese is. Uh, here's what you do. Tell me. You uh, boil some macaroni in a pot. I hear you. While it's boiling or getting ready to boil. Yep. Grate your cheese. What yeah. type of cheese you using? Just cheddar cheese. Sometimes yeah. I'll do cheddar and mozzarella. All right. Just a good mix, and then because you get you get a nice like. You get the taste of the cheddar, but you also get a nice kind of uh, stringy cheese. Okay. Well, so then you, when you're boiling your macaroni, then you make your white sauce, which is, oh, let me think here. Now it's a, it's a, I think it's like a teaspoon of butter okay. with a teaspoon of flour, okay. half a teaspoon of salt, and a heaping quarter uh, teaspoon of uh, prepared mustard, like prepared mustard, but the uh, powdered mustard, or whatever. Okay. Like yeah. Coleman's dry mustard. Dry, dry mustard. mustard yeah. yeah. And then you. Uh, Mix that together till it's like uh, a little sizzling bit, you know, the butter and everything in the bottom. Take it off. Get a cup of milk. Add that. Stir it up. Put that back on the element. Mm-hmm. Heat that to a boil. Once it starts boiling, it'll thicken a little bit. Put that aside. Get your get your uh, macaroni into a colander. Drain it off. Put it into the uh, white sauce. Add your cheese. Mix it up. Put it into a casserole dish, and then put it in the oven for Bake 400 degrees, 20 minutes. Very good. Very good. I've been making a stovetop uh, mac and cheese. That's what Lisa, Lisa makes as well. Okay. Here's, here's my stovetop mac okay. and cheese. And I'm stealing this recipe from Mountain Brown. Okay. Uh, but I've made a couple of times now. It works out quite well. You're right. You boil that macaroni. <laughs> you're boiling it. <laughs> yes. Very good. I think that's pretty common. Okay. And then you're, uh, you know, so while you're boiling that, mm-hmm. you're going to whisk together two eggs. Okay. You're going to put in some evaporated milk. Okay. All right. Uh, a little dash of hot sauce. Mm-hmm. Uh, salt, pepper, and you're right, the Coleman's dry mustard. Okay. There you are. Put that, whisk that together. Uh, you're draining your uh, pasta. Uh, put, put a little butter in there. Yeah. Then you put in the, uh, the the mix that I just told you sure. about. Mix that all up. Now it's time to add your cheese. Okay. Your grated okay. cheese. You mix that all in. Yeah. Stir it on up. 
and you just keep it on uh, the put it back into the pot and uh, and just uh, cook that for like about three minutes uh, and uh, it's uh, very very nice. Hmm. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, sounds like a macaroni carbonara. It does it does seem a little bit like it? Maybe a little yeah. bacon in there. Yeah. Oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> I have to give that some thought. <laughs> yeah, so it's a good recipe. Yeah, mine comes from. Uh, it's uh, I can't remember the name of the book now, but it's a it's a home economics textbook hmm. from ni- the 1950s. So not only does it have like a recipe for mac and cheese because you want to make sure, sure. that your, your husband's happy with you when you, when you get home. Sure, you but, do. But it has all kinds of great information on like or what his company just drops by unexpectedly. Yeah, exactly. Well, you get your craft cheese out uh, with um, olives and, and some uh, crackers. But uh, and yeah, it has all kinds of other fantastic information from the 1950s that. Uh, Probably no one really ever followed, but uh, yeah, it tells you stuff. how much lead to put in your pasta. How much lead? <laughs> just well, just enough to make the kids happy and give them that taste sure. that they like from licking paint. But how to sew on a button, mm. which is handy to know. Uh, how to make your bed. How to find a communist. <laughs> how to um, like dress styles, like like a line, which I never really understood until I mm. found it in there. I can't remember the other styles, but yeah, all kinds of neat little little. It's not tid- just a subway. Not little tidbits. Yeah, yeah. That's quite a that's quite a fun book. It's from a different time when they made macaroni and cheese with white sauce. Nice. Um, Dave, we've reached an hour and a half. That is our legal um, requirement for our community service. Well, I had four hours sleep last night, so I'm perfectly... Oh, let's make sure that you... I'm perfectly happy to... uh, This is our second podcast. Here's a question that I'm going to ask. How much much sleep do you guys get on average? Mm. How much do you shoot for and how much do you get? That's a good question. I would like to get six hours. But I normally get five hours. Last night, I, I had to, I was editing a uh, listening party. <clears throat> and it's a very, very stupidly long episode. I don't know what happened. Mary and I were in a real talky mood. So it's a very That's long show. That's nice, though. I guess so. Sorry for the listeners. People, no, no, no. People can stop listening at any point. So it's, that's, uh, that's no problem. Uh, and my second question would be, uh, and again, if you've got a, a question, to please just no, jump no, in with it. I'm, I'm like, uh, okay. How do you deal with stress? What's your mm. what's your go to thing for stress? Mine is I think uh, if I'm not doing a show because a show usually blows off the stress. Um, uh, going for a walk, walks well, especially through uh, trees, what they call forest bathing. Uh, yeah, going through going through a park especially uh, helps me out. Mm. Um, or swimming especially is really really good. Sure. For me. Uh, what do you do for stress? Suppress it. It doesn't exist. There you go. Get it to a nice little tight ball and yeah. then just shit it out. <laughs> exactly. It comes out of your ass like a bullet. Just pretend it's not there. Yeah. Uh, um, let me. You know what? I guess music is a big part of part of uh, my uh, stress control. I'm probably not very good at stress control though. Lisa read a list of of characteristics the other day. She's like, it was like a list, and I was like, you know, you know, you work hard at work and stuff like that, and then. And it said, obviously, that you're afraid of getting fired. <laughs> she just read all these things. And she's like, that's you. And I was like, you said it pretty much right there. All the all that anxiety right there. <laughs> yep. It's weird. There you go. I always think, like, it would be nice if you could uh, just take your stress and have it just, like, ooze out of you like uh, like a, a Play-Doh uh, barbershop. <laughs> okay. Like, where you could just, like, push it out and it would sure. just come out of your head. Yeah. You could just, like, grab a scissors and just cut it off. Sure, and sure. Just, like, Throw it away would be nice. That'd be handy. I wonder if I wonder if church is part of that for me. Is a time to I don't know. I don't know. Well, you also at work at least before you did a lot of like spike ball and that kind of stuff. It feels like that seems like that would be a relaxing thing for you, or or is it not? Is that no? Yeah, that's very relaxing for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, yeah, reading, reading, listening to music. Yeah, 
yeah, I think I'm more of a yeah more of a doer than a contemplator. So I would like to recommend real quick uh, if you guys play video games, and even if you don't, there's this video game I just played. Oh, called, a new Spike Ball video game? Oh no, no, it's just called uh, What Remains of uh, Edith Finch, and it is uh, if you've never heard of it, look up a video of it. It is uh, not like any video game you've ever played. It's uh, it takes place in the Pacific Northwest. It's a person returning to a house after uh, something has happened at that house, and you're exploring the house, and then you learn the stories of all these people who have lived in the house. They're your family members. Okay. And it's one of the most bizarre experiences uh, <laughs> as a video game that I've ever had. But it was uh, it takes about two hours to play. It's 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 very very interesting. I don't want to spoil anything for you, but it's uh, it's uh, well worth your time. What remains of Edith Finch? Edith Finch. Oh, yes. I'll have to look it up. So it's on YouTube. I could watch. You could you could watch, watch a, someone watch a trailer of it. Or you something? could watch a trailer. Or you could probably watch a whole playthrough of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I I I played the game and then I I forced my sister in law to uh, <laughs> to play it to play it. Uh, but yeah, at some point, if you ever want to try it, I'm uh, be happy to play it with you. Uh, yeah, it was very very it was very very interesting. Again, it was uh, it just. I would recommend it. It's for sale for cheap on most systems and uh, and well worth your while. Would video games be an example of something that you used to for a stress reliever? Possibly. I don't as much anymore. Okay. I used to more. Yeah. 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 It's, I can see that because it's very much a rhythm to those sort of things where you just kind of can shut off and just kind of play. Yeah. And just let. Yeah. There's a very interesting part in the game. And again, not trying to spoil anything for where you have to do something very ritualistic with the right stick while doing something else and exploring with the left stick and it becomes almost a hypnotic thing hmm. Hmm. but it's something that uh, i think you have actually had to do in real life the uh, ritualistic thing oh okay so yeah uh, anyway uh, check check it out if you uh, if you get a chance please an- uh, uh, answer our questions if you uh, feel like it Thank you for tolerating, uh, you know, uh, this episode where I, I rambled a little bit, but you know, it was some odd stuff at the beginning of the the uh, the week that I wanted to talk through, and I appreciate your kind indulgence of both you, Dave, and our, our listeners, and uh, we really do appreciate you listening to us. If uh, I had want, my arms folded and was tapping my feet the whole time, but yeah, yeah, to a very weird uh, rhythm. <laughs> it was a combination of the mambo and the cha cha. Nice. Um, if you want to talk to us, here's how you do it. Either come say hi, if you know us personally. <laughs> if you don't, go to sneakydragon.com, where we have all of our episodes. And underneath each episode, well, there's a message board. You can just comment there. Or uh, email us at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. Go to our Twitter page, which is uh, which our name is at sneaky underscore dragon. Go to our Facebook page, Sneaky Dragon. Go to Tumblr, sneakydragon.tumblr.com. Do any of those things, and uh, you can talk to us. If you want to talk to me, uh, I'm at Fan Expo this weekend. Oh, um, so uh, oh, really? you know we can uh, on the from the fifteenth to the seventeenth, and I'll be there. So say hi if you feel like it. That's this weekend. That's this weekend. Oh, and uh, there you go. And uh, if you're going like, well, when can I see you and David uh, together at a con? Well, you can see us together at a con for uh, Van Calf, and that's later on this year. I made a mistake. May something rather. We had a who who's our who's our listener who was uh, David Weisshorn. Yeah, and uh, he was asking, "Hey, are you guys going to be at Van Calf?" And I went, "They won't. The Nina won't be, and Dave won't be. It's just me because I was getting all confused thinking it was this weekend show. Wrong. All three of us will be 
there at VanCaf later on That's this right. year. The first dragon, the second dragon, and the third dragon. And we also have a new book coming out this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you like Sparks, our book about two cats that uh, dress up as a dog. And I love save that the book. World. Yay, I do too. Uh, we've got another one coming out called Sparks Double Dog Dare, and mm. that is coming out in August of this year. But you can pre-order now, and we would recommend it. Be safe. Don't be sorry. That's right. Go order it from your local bookstore now or online if you're uh, that kind of person. Let me tell you, there's some great coloring in there. Damn rights. <laughs> Damn rights, tootin'. <laughs> and I'm currently writing the third one. So uh, here's all I got to say to you. You think a time travel story is a good idea to write? Put some time aside. <laughs> you wish. You wish you. You wish you were vertical. And my advice would also yeah. be: do not take fentanyl, because <laughs> that's a big time suck. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I've been Ian. <laughs> I've been David. And uh, that's us. Bye. Bye, everyone. Listen to all our other podcasts. We're also on Patreon. I forgot all this stuff. <laughs> Damn you, fentanyl! <laughs> Love it. And leave it. To Beaver. What happened?